Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. We did uh, start some time ago the book of Hebrews, and I thought that we would uh, get through that book. I think it was about six months when we started, uh, six months to Passover. And uh, as, it, as it turned out, it's taken us over a year. But the timing has been quite remarkable. Uh, when we started, we, as I said, we thought we would get through the whole book by Passover. But we ended up getting to chapter 7 by Passover. And just uh, to remind you, it's been a little while since we've studied it. But we started off understanding that Christ is superior to the angels. He's superior to all the messengers that brought the message of God before him. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the Levitical priesthood, and he's superior to Aaron. We saw that the rest that he offers is superior to the rest that Joshua offered. And then in chapter 7, we learned that he is our high priest after the order of Melchizedek, that he is of the highest order of high priest. And that took us then into the Passover. After the Passover, we continued to study the book of Hebrews, And we learn that the sacrifice that Christ offers as our high priest is superior than all of the sacrifices from the Aaronic high priests. We learn that his covenant is superior to the old covenant and that the heavenly tabernacle that he serves in is superior to the earthly tabernacle that the high priest served in. And then we learn that his blood is superior to the blood of bulls and goats and that he has entered into the true holiest place to offer his blood on our behalf. And then that took us into atonement. After atonement then, at the feast we studied Hebrews chapter 11, and we learned that Abraham and his sons dwelt in tabernacles, even though God had promised them all the land, that they preferred to dwell in tents, looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. We learned in the faith chapter that it wasn't just about faith, it was about facing persecution faithfully. That no matter what happened, and in many cases God would intervene at the last moment and remove the threat, but in some cases he didn't. In either case, it didn't matter that God was faithful, and the reason these brethren were faithful was they saw something at the end, and they were focused on that, and they could not inherit those promises without us. So they're waiting for us before they can inherit the promises. And so now here we are, the last two chapters of the book of Hebrews, and I'd like to cover them today, and then we will have concluded our study in the book of Hebrews. So let's begin, brethren, in Hebrews 12. And the timing here is interesting because this is now coming to us after a very sobering message and understanding of the collision course that we are on with the Islamic jihadists. Make no mistake, we're on a collision course. There is going to be an intersection between those of us who believe in Christ and those who are promulgating the religion of Islam through jihad. And so here we are with Hebrews 12, which offers us some very strong encouragement. So let's begin now in Hebrews 12. Coming after Hebrews 11, therefore... Seeing we also are compassed or surrounded about 
with so great a cloud of witnesses. These are all of the examples that we saw in Hebrews 11. So seeing that we are encompassed by these witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, this is a very well-known scripture. I think we've all, if we've spent any time in the the church, we've heard this scripture uh, rehearsed. The problem is, it's generally rehearsed out of context. It just sounds nice. It sounds good. You know, we're compassed with a cloud of witnesses. Let's lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And we can kind of generalize sin, and, and it's appropriate. Let's, let's get rid of all the sin, any hypocrisy, any immorality, any, any kind of sin that we may be battling with. Let's get rid of it. But in the context of the letter, which is being given to these Hebrew brethren, they're not hearing this verse in a vacuum. They're hearing it in context. And the context of the sin is faith, faithlessness. That's the sin that so easily besets us. It's easy to be faithless when there's a knife at your neck. It's easy to look for the easy way out. That's the way we're designed. And that's the sin that so easily besets us. So as we're on this collision course, what we have to be doing from now is establishing ourselves in the faith so that no matter what happens, this sin of faithlessness will not beset us. We will remain faithful no matter what. And we will run with patience the race that is set before us. So there's a race that we have to run. And when I used to run long distances, there's a course. I I can't make up the course. I can't say, like, that hill looks a bit steep. Uh, I I think I'll take another route. I'll take a shortcut. I'd be disqualified. So as a racer, there's a race that's set before me, And it's a long-distance race. I have to run it with patience. But I have to stay on the course. I can't make up my own course. And so God has set a race before us. As each day unfolds, the course becomes apparent to us. And we cannot deviate. We can't choose our own course. We have to run this course with patience. And there is a course that is set before us. The future is coming at us very rapidly. That's the course that's set before us. We need to establish ourselves so that we run this race with patience and with faithfulness. Look at Revelation 20. Revelation 20. shows us that we are in a situation not unlike the situation that these Hebrews were in. These Hebrews were in trouble. Their lives were at risk. And because of that, they wanted to defect and and comply with whoever the persecutors were, whether these were Jewish persecutors or Roman persecutors. It, It looked like it was easier for them to go backward and go back into the official religion of Judaism and reject Christ. We're on a similar course. And look at this in Revelation 20, verse 4. John says, I saw thrones, and they sat upon them. So he's fast-forwarding into the future. 
and judgment was given to them. So there are these saints that are sitting on thrones who have the power to render judgment. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded. Why were they beheaded? For the witness of Jesus. Somebody is very unhappy that there were souls who were willing to stand up and say, Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is divine. He is the Son of God. He became man. And I will not back down from that. He is my Savior. His blood purchased me. He is God. Somebody is very unhappy with these statements. And they set up a beheading factory. Line up. Do you reject Christ? Will you accept that Christ is just a man and that there's no God but our God? If you do, well and good. If you don't reject Christ, we behead you. And so ahead of us, it seems, there is a beheading factory where Christians, because, only because they're Christians, no other reason, but because they declare Christ, they're being beheaded. This is the race that is set before us. This is a future time. And for the word of God. And which had not worshipped the beast. And, and you know, we have traditionally seen the beast as the Roman Empire. Uh, and I'm, I'm begging to differ. I'm seeing something different. That the beast is this Islamic threat that we're seeing. This, this re- resurrection of the Ottoman Empire. And they have an image that we must receive on our foreheads or in our hands that obviously contradicts the divinity of Christ. That anybody who receives this image is saying, I reject the divinity of Christ. Because whatever this image is, it's set up to contradict, specifically to contradict the, 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 the divinity of Christ. Well, those who were faithful, who didn't buckle, they lived and reigned with Christ thousand years. In other words, there were some that buckled. And they will not be a part of this party. So this is the very same situation that the Hebrew brethren were in. They had to decide. Will you be faithful? Or will you give in to the sin? The sin of fear. Of faithlessness. Lack of courage. Not believing in, in God. Will we give in to that sin? Or will we stand firm? Look at Daniel 3. Look at Daniel 3, and uh, just by way of reminder, uh, Daniel has been taken captive by the Babylonians. And here we see in verse 4, a herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O people, nations and languages. So this is going across all the nations and languages that there's a herald that cries out. Not unlike what we see in Islam, where there's a call to prayer. And when you hear that call to prayer all over the world, when the sun is in certain positions, you turn to Mecca. And you turn to this stone that's in Mecca, and you fall down and worship. Well, here it is here. Same situation that Daniel found himself in. That at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, 
So the way they set it up here was it was, music, it was a musical call to prayer, a musical call to worship. But there's a call to worship that goes out, and when you hear this call to worship, you fall down and you worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso does not fall down on worship shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a fiery furnace. So we're going to see this uh, exertion of power by this beast power. And we're going to see a call to worship go out. And everybody's expected to fall down and worship. And anybody that does not fall down and worship will be punished that same hour. Daniel was in the exact same situation with his colleagues. Therefore, verse 7, at that time, when all the people, all the people meaning God's covenant people, they're in here too. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego are not the only brethren that were taken captive. The whole community was taken captive. Not just, uh, not just those four. And not just the pagans. So, when all the people heard the sound, they heard the call to prayer, the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages, all of them, fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. God's covenant community lacked courage. They lacked faith. They didn't believe in God. And so they bowed down and worshipped the image. Verse 8, Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. And they spoke and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worships, that he should be cast into the midst of a fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, by name Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded the call to prayer. They serve not your gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if you be ready at that time, you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music which are the call to prayer. You fall down and worship the image which I have made, then very good. It's all good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? So here's the situation. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And let us set aside the sin that so easily besets us. That's why Satan said to God, let me touch Job's skin. Because all that a man has, he'll give up for, his, for the sake of his skin. So Satan thinks he's got it figured out. I just have to touch their skin. And they'll be weak and faithless. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, it's easy. 
Just fall down and worship and everything's good. I'll forgive what you did in the past. Just do it now. Here's the answer. Verse 17. Okay. You know what? If that's what you're going to do, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And that's what we saw in chapter 11 of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. How God, even if it's at the last possible minute, he can step in and perform miracles and save us. And so they're saying, you know what? We're down to the wire here, and we know our God. He is able to deliver us from this furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. You're not more powerful than Yahweh. But if not, he might not deliver us. Just like as we saw in chapter 11, some were sawn in two. And they hadn't received the promises, but they remained faithful. That's the same understanding that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have. That God is faithful. And it's not about us. It's about his plan. And we know he can save us. But if he chooses not to, that's okay too. We're in his hands. But, but if not, be it known unto you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. So we have to establish ourselves, brethren, that when Sharia law is imposed on the land, and the call to prayer goes out, and everybody faces Mecca and falls down to worship this, this, this stone, this meteorite, this, this pagan idol, and the whole world is falling down to worship it. We have to establish from now. We're of this, we're of this DNA. The DNA that stands up and says, do your worst. It's not about me. It's about God. And he can save us. He can deliver us right now. You're not more powerful than God. But if he chooses not to deliver us, that's okay too. Because he will resurrect us, and we will sit on thrones, and we will render judgment. And we see that very clearly. Let's go back to Hebrews. It's not all bad news, brethren. It's not all bad news. In fact, look at Hebrews 12. It's very good news. It's very good news. We just have to brace ourselves. We just have to brace ourselves. Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, how is it that we can be, uh, set aside this sin, that, so this sin of fear, this sin of faithlessness, this lack of courage? We're all weak. We're all, we're all, we all lack courage. We're all faithless. Christ is faithful. God is faithful. So how do we set aside the sin of fear? God says that the fearful will go into the lake of fire. How do we make sure that we're not fearful? Well, here it is, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, we call ourselves Christians. Christians means we follow Christ. So here's Christianity. Look at Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. He's the one that authors faith. So we just have to look to him to see what he did in order to have faith to stand up against anything. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, oh, I get it, 
we have to run this race that is set before us with patience. How do we run this race, this course that's set before us, whatever it is, how do we run it with patience? We look to Jesus who's already run it. And how did he run it? He didn't look at the obstacles in the course. He looked at the finish line. And there was joy at the finish line. And therefore, he just ran the race with patience, whatever befell him. We're Christians. We're running the same race. We're going to do the same thing. We're not going to look at the obstacles. We're not going to look at the threats. We're going to be like the deacon Stephen, who while they were stoning him, he was just fixed gazing, and he saw something. He saw the finish line. And while they're stoning him, he's saying, forgive them, Lord. They have no clue what they're doing. In just a few moments now, I'm going to sit on a throne judging them. But I have your love for them. Forgive them, Lord. Keep the finish line. That's what Christ did. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. So there was a shamefulness to be on the cross. And he disesteemed it. He, he, he treated it lightly. It was nothing. To be on the cross? Huh, nothing. Why? Because the joy was much greater. Why? Because it included us. In other words, the way that Christ conducted himself, it wasn't about him. He wasn't trying to conduct himself in such a way that when he dies, he gets 72 virgins to himself. It wasn't about him. He conducted himself in such a way so that when he dies, we now can come into God's family. So if we're going to go through the race that is set before us, we have to be like Jesus. We have to see the finish line. We have to realize that we are saviors. We are here not for ourselves. The covenant is for the whole world. God wants to bless the whole world through us. And so, yes, we will go through whatever we can, whatever we have to. Why? For the joy that's set before us. This whole world, not being under Sharia law, but being under God's love. This whole world being liberated under God's love. That's, what, that's the finish line. And for that joy, we'll go through anything. Anything. That's what we see here. This is Christianity. You know, Christianity is not, you know, do you want a new car? Oh, name it and claim it. Do you want a new house? Oh, name it and claim it. When you're driving, you want a parking spot, name it and claim it and the parking spot will appear. This is something else. Christianity is following Christ. Christianity is seeing that there's a joy that is set before us. God's kingdom is coming to earth. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more sorrow. The whole world will be full of joy. That's what we're after. That's why we, that's why we live. And, and, and by the way, it's forever eternal life. This life is... All of us right now have an expiry date. Over every single one of us. I don't know what yours is. You don't know what mine is. But every single person in this room has a date stamped on us. And it's when we we just run out. The chemistry, the electrical signals just shut down. And we expire. So this life is great. Being alive is wonderful. But it's going to shut down. There's another life which will never shut down. That's what we want. And in that life, everybody is happy. Everybody is growing. Everybody is, is fulfilled. So 
For that reason, he endured the cross. And for that reason, we'll endure the cross. And we will think little of the shame. And now he's set down at the right hand of the throne of God, just as we will sit at the right hand of the throne of God. We will sit on thrones. And we will judge this earth. We will even judge angels. So this is what we see. Verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction, such opposition, such hostility of sinners against himself, lest you be weary, wearied and faint in your minds. So we're going to have contradiction. We're going to have opposition. We're going to have hostility. But when all of that comes, we have to consider Christ. It's not new. If they hated him, they're going to hate us. If they killed him, they're going to kill us. It's not new. So we need to keep our eye on Christ, who went through it willingly. We'll do the same. Look at Daniel 11. There's a saying, forewarned is forearmed. Daniel 11. And you know, a lot of people will say that, oh, the Bible's just another book. The Bible's just another book. I challenge anyone with that view to read Daniel 11 and tell me again it's just another book. Here is an extremely detailed prophecy that lays out for us what's going to happen in the future. And we've already seen part of this chapter fulfilled in Alexander the Great. And now ahead of us here, Daniel 11, beginning in verse 31. And arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that makes desolate. So we know that armies are going to surround Jerusalem. And ISIS has already said that they want to take the Kaaba stone, this meteorite that fell from outer space, which was there being worshipped by pagans before Muhammad was ever born. It's a pagan idol. They've said they want to take that, and they want to move it to Jerusalem. It's right here. The abomination that makes desolate. They're going to wipe out all of Jerusalem and take over and move the Kaaba stone there. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong. So we have to know our God. And that's really the message of Hebrews. Take our religion seriously. What's coming is coming. It's going to come anyway, but it can come and shape us and mold us and and put us right into the kingdom of God, or it can come and cut our life off forever, put us into the lake of fire. Because all the fearful and unbelieving, they're going in the lake of fire. Those who know their God shall be strong. In other words, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God can spiritually endow us to be strong. Where everyone else is is fainting and collapsing and losing their will, we can stand supernaturally strong in this because God is the one who makes us strong. God is the one who spiritually endows us. The people who know their God, so obviously some don't know their God, but the ones who do, because when, when, when Nebuchadnezzar put out that call to worship, Jews bowed down and worshipped. It doesn't say that the whole nation stood firm. 
and said, we will not worship your God. It said that all the nations fell down and worshipped. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused because they knew their God. And God supernaturally empowered them to have courage. So if we know our God, we shall be strong. And do exploits. We shall do exploits. Not, not just to be strong and stand still. To do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many. Shall instruct many. Yet they shall fall by the sword. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded. They shall fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity, and by spoil many days. This is something that's going to be happening for a while. It's going to be very th- a very thorough cleansing. Now, when they shall fall, they shall be helped with a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries. So there's some sort of deception here, and people are coming in, but they don't really belong. And some of them of understanding, so those of understanding shall teach and instruct many, but some of them of understanding shall fall. To try them, God has to know. Do we really want the kingdom? So we have to be tried. We have to be tested. And to purge and to make them white. So it's a purging process. And as we go through this, we come out the other end cleansed, holy, sanctified, just like Christ, even to the time of the end. So this is ahead of us. It's going to take us right up to the time of the end. (laughs) You want to doubt the Bible? This is an amazing book tells us everything in advance. This is ahead of us. This is the, it might not be in our lifetime. It probably is. It might not be. But it's coming. It's coming. And we see it. It's all around us. All the evidence is there. You, you would have to have your head in the sand not to see it. But it's at the time, it's even to the time of the end, this is when all of this is going to happen because it is yet for a time appointed. So the point here is in verse 32. The people that do know their God shall be strong. And that's the point, brethren, and to to our youth. Do you know your God? He is your God. Do you know him? Because if you know him, if you take the time to know him, you will be strong. These were young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are not old men. These are youth who knew their God and did exploits did exploits. Thousands of years later, we're still talking about them. For us, do we know our God? Do we just sort of pray, oh, it's nice to know you, Christ, and we love you, amen. And then when push comes to shove, we really don't have any faith. Or are we getting to know our God? Do we know his character? Do we know what he's like? Do we love him? Do we have a loving relationship with him? So that when we're threatened to be faithless, we can't. How, how can I be faithless to my God? Are you kidding me? I could never be faithless to my God because we know him. And we know how much he loves us. And we could never betray him, no matter what. Now is the time to develop this relationship. And God says, how can a man say he loves me and he hates his brother? So conversely, If we love God, we will love our brother. So now is the time to learn 
how to love our brother, how to love each other, how to be in a loving community. This is all about loving God and knowing God. Hebrews 12. I should say, um, if ever I leave Hebrews 12, keep your finger there because we're always going back. Okay, so crisis is on the land. You're seeing Christians being persecuted, in some cases being beheaded, being taken captive, and now it's your turn. And you're buckling. You're human. You're a human being. You're buckling. Verse 5 says, You have forgotten the encouragement which speaks to you as unto children. You're forgetting that you're in a family. And, and you've been encouraged, and, and the encouragement came to you speaking to you as a child of God. Why are you running? You're in, part, you're in a family, and you've forgotten that. It says this, my son, my child. This is the encouragement. My child, you're in my family. Just as Christ was my son, or is my son, you are my son. My son, do not treat lightly the correction or the training of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. We are all flawed. If if we were perfect, we wouldn't have to be refined. The fact that we are being refined means God sees something in us. And he's saying, you're my son. And because you're my son, I want you in my family, but you have to be refined. You can't enter like that. There's some polishing that we have to do. And you've forgotten that. All of this, anything we, on this course that we're running, anything that we face, it's a polishing process. So it's not that he just wants to chastise you for the sake of chastising. He just wants to polish us. Verse 6. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Because he wants you in his family. And you can't be in his family like that. You can't come into the family like that. He's going to polish you. So everyone that he loves, he polishes. And he scourges or purifies every son whom he receives. If you endure this correction, so don't buckle, Don't deviate from the course. Run the race that is set before us. If you endure this, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father doesn't correct? And I think all of us here have either been parents or we've been children. And I think all of us have been children. Let me start with that. All of us have been children. Some of us have also been parents. There's a correction process. If you're going to function in a family, you can't just be wild. You'll destroy the family. And so there's a correction process. And we're in God's family. We can't be wild, do whatever we like, treat people any way we like, be selfish, just think of ourselves. No, no, this is God's family. God's love. He's always thinking of others. He's always sacrificing for others. And we're being invited into this family to be like him. So we've got to get rid of this selfish nature. And the persecution that we face is part of the purging. 
when, when, when the sword is at my throat, am I thinking of myself or am I thinking of others? This is a purification process. If I can lay down my life for my brethren, I'm pure. I have, I have overcome my selfish nature when I'm thinking of others. This is very difficult, but it's what God wants. He wants us in a family that is constantly thinking of others, forever. That's what God is. God is love. Verse 8. And this word, this word chasten really means to train. So if, if we endure the training, God deals with us as with sons. So it's a training process. When I used to run long distance, you can't just get up one day and say, okay, I'm going to run this race. You will never finish. You have to train. And training is painful. You know, I'd be in a suit like this, and I'd be walking around, and everybody else is in a suit or good clothing, but I'm in pain. Why? Because I was training yesterday. So athletes are always in pain because that's how they build muscle. So we walk around, and we're, you know, I'm not in pain now because I wasn't training yesterday. But I might meet an athlete, shake hands, we talk. I have no idea. He's in pain. Why? Because he was training yesterday. Training builds up muscle. And that's what God wants to do is build spiritual muscle, and we have to endure this training. Verse 8, but if we be without training, whereof all are partakers, everybody has to be trained and developed, then you are bastards and not sons. The Greek is nothos, which means illegitimate. We're in the family, but we're illegitimate. We're, we're counterfeit. So here's God's family. Here's the assembly. And all I do is think of myself. I'm selfish. So anytime any kind of difficulty or inconvenience befalls me, I'm out. Because I want convenience. I want name it and claim it. I want things to go well for me. I'm a fake. I'm not a true Christian. A true Christian follows Christ and is willing to lay down his life for his brethren. To get from where we start, thinking only of ourselves, to becoming like Christ where we think of others, there's a training process that's required. We have to be trained. God is serious about this. He really wants us in his family. But we have to be developed. It doesn't happen overnight. If we endure the training process, he treats us like sons. If we bail and say, I don't want any inconvenience, I don't want any discomfort, I don't want any pain, we are bastards. Illegitimate children. We're fakes. When they check the paperwork, they're going to realize we're not the son of this. We're not the true heir. So they're just about to hand out the inheritance and they find out you don't have the DNA. You're illegitimate. You, you have no right to any of the, the inheritance. So we have to be in the family to be rightful heirs. Verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. And we gave them reverence. We respect our fathers. They correct us. We, we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us, corrected us after their own pleasure, so based on their judgment. But God does it for our profit. So a father, I might not like my children, uh, let's say, playing music loudly. It's inconvenient to me. So I'm going to correct them and say, don't play the music loudly because I don't like it. It's my house. 
So it was for my benefit that I'm correcting them. He's saying here, and, and then they give me respect. I'm their father. Saying here, when God corrects us, it's not for his own pleasure. It's for our profitability. We, we are going to become wealthier. We are going to become more profitable as a result of the correction that God gives us. So God trains us for our own benefit, not for his benefit. And yet we still give respect to our physical fathers. How much more should we give respect to our spiritual father? Verse 10, For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. So we are trying to become like Christ. We are Christians. We're developing Christ's nature. Now, no chastening, no correction. At the time you're going through it, it doesn't seem to be joyous. This is uh, the understatement of the year. When we are actually undergoing persecution, as the Hebrews were here, to say it wasn't joyous, understatement. It was extremely painful. It was life-threatening. And yet, the outcome is joyous. There's nothing that can happen to us that the outcome is not joy beyond description. Nothing. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. In the present, it doesn't seem to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. That word is gymnazo, which is where we get our word gymnasium. So those who go to the gym and work out, they, they profit, they benefit. So this is a spiritual gym, spiritual gymnasium that God is taking us through. Therefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. Run the course, run the race that is set before us. Set it in your mind. I'm running this race. I'm, running, I'm not going to deviate. Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. So this is a warning to all of the Hebrews, by extension to all Christians. You can be turned out of the way. We can be faithless, and we can lose out on everything. And we have to set our minds. We're going to run this course. We're going to run the race that's set before us so that it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, even our persecutors. We're not going to fight. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man, speaking to the whole community, there's nobody special here. There's nobody above failing. Any man can fail. It's not a once saved, always saved. And I'm telling you, brethren, we have to expunge that doctrine from our minds. Rather, we have to realize when push comes to shove, any one of us, by nature, can be faithless. That's why the people who know their God shall do exploits. They shall be strong and do exploits. We have The beauty of all of this is we have time. Maybe it's 20 years. We have time. Imagine an oak tree the first day you plant it. You can just come back and dig it up and pull it out. Even a year later, you can pull it out. 20 years later? 50 years later? It's not going anywhere. And that's what we need. We need to take the time to know our God and be established so that we cannot be uprooted. 
And if we have this concept, once saved, always saved, then we're going to be spiritually lazy. We're going to think it's impossible for me to lose my salvation. And when they put the knife to my throat, I'll say whatever they want me to say, and I'll deny Christ, just so that I don't have to go through that. But if I say, okay, that could happen, that really could happen, no matter what, I'm not denying Christ. Then I have 20 years to know Christ and establish myself knowing that I'm weak and I could be faithless. This is, what, this is the view we must have, that any man, any one of us can fail. It's interesting. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And it would appear to me that this bitterness is against God. That he's the one doing the, the chastening. He's the one doing the correction. And, and, and there are brethren now that are feeling frustrated with God. Why am I going through this? Why hasn't God answered my prayer? They're not taking the view of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, do your worst. It doesn't matter. I know that God loves me, and which, whatever you do, the outcome is going to be great because God is faithful. So this root of bitterness springs up, and it troubles you, and thereby many be defiled. Verse 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Hold your place here. Let's go to Genesis 25. Genesis 25. And verse 31, And Jacob said to Esau, Sell me this day your birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me? So Esau's problem was he couldn't see beyond his death. When Abraham was asked to sacrifice Isaac, he was willing to do it because he could see beyond Isaac's death. In his mind, God had to bring Isaac back to life because God is not a liar. In Esau's mind, my, my life is at stake. What's the birthright to me? And we as Christians, what Hebrews is telling us is that as Christians, we can become like Esau. And when our life is at stake, we can say, you know, what good is the birthright to me if I'm not alive? So I'll do whatever I have to do. I'll say whatever I have to say in order to live. We can't be like this profane person, Esau. And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore to him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, the worst deal in the history of all mankind, to trade the birthright of, of Esau, the birthright of Isaac, his, his birthright, that was passed down to him from his father for soup and bread. Why? Because he was wrapped up in this physical life and he was wrapped up in himself. And we have time now to grow out of this juvenile way of being and be fixed on the joy that's set before us and to think of others, not ourselves. I'm not here for me. We're here for the world. The whole, this is a birthright through which 
all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Even the people who are persecuting us, we're here for them. We're here for others, not for ourselves. Hebrews 12. Oh, sorry. So he went his way. He, he, he did eat and drink, rose up, went his way, and this is how he despised his birthright. So he, he, he escapes the threat of death. And in escaping the threat of death, he despised his birthright. We have to brace ourselves to run the race that is set before us and not do this. Hebrews 12, verse 17. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. This is in the book of Hebrews because Christians can be rejected. Christians can be rejected. If we put our life before our birthright, if we put our life before the joy that's set before us, like Esau, we can be rejected. If we, if we put uh, physical pleasure ahead of this birthright, we can be rejected. Momentary pleasure ahead of our birthright. We as Christians, it is so important, brethren, that we expunge this once saved, always saved. We have to brace ourselves to be faithful, no matter what comes our way. Don't be like Esau. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. Don't be like Esau. He was rejected. We can be rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Too late. Too late. You've already shown that you despise the birthright. Too late. You can't be in my family and despise the birthright. So we cannot despise Christ. We deny the divinity of Christ. We despise him. And then afterwards we seek it with tears. Too late. I I now know your true colors. Too late. We have to be committed, brethren. For you are not come, verse 18, unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest. So this was the experience that the Israelites had at Mount Sinai with Moses. And they couldn't come to the mountain. They had to stay at the base of it. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they heard, that they heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. They were so terrified of dealing with the God of Israel that they stayed at the base of the mountain and would not go near it. And they entreated Moses that let God speak to Moses and then Moses speak to them because it was too terrifying to deal directly with God. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. So this is such a holy space that nothing can go near that is not appropriate to the holiness. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am afraid and I quake. And you can see that in Exodus 19 and Deuteronomy 9. But instead, verse 22, so that was their experience. Instead, we have come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So they came to Mount Sinai for the physical promised land. We're coming to Mount Zion for the heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels. So so we're coming to this Mount Zion. This is the true holiness of God. And notice this, we're coming into a community. 
It's a community of angels that are innumerable. And to the general assembly. So we are now part of the general assembly, the community, and the church of the firstborn. Christians don't understand this. Traditional Christians. They look at this and say, what does this mean? Church of the firstborn. We know exactly what it means. We are the church of the firstfruits. We are the firstborn. We are the ones that will be born first into the kingdom. And we better not despise this birthright. This is our birthright to be the first fruits. We cannot esteem it lightly. We have to treasure it, run toward it, do all sacrifice anything for it. Because we're in this community that is the first fruits, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaks. So when, when God spoke to ancient Israel, they had to make sure they obeyed, and they were terrified, and they were punished for not obeying. We're now coming to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, speaking to Christ himself and the Father, and it's saying, do not refuse him. No matter what happens, do not turn your back on the divinity of Christ. See that you refuse not him that speaks. For if they escaped not who refused him that spoke on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven. So let's establish ourselves. And it's a community. It's not something I do by myself. It's not something you do by yourself. It's something we do together. Over time together, we establish ourselves in this faith. Iron sharpens iron. We have time. Let's use the time to establish ourselves in this faith. Let's use the time to sharpen each other in this faith and make sure that we do not refuse him that speaks. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. So we're going to go through some catastrophic experience that's going to shake everything, And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken. So, can we be removed? And we have to establish ourselves in this faith so that no matter what catastrophic events occur, we cannot be shaken. (laughs) We love Christ. We, We are committed to our birthright to be the firstborn into the kingdom of God. We cannot be shaken. Yet once more signifies the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. We will see who's who. We will see who's who. And we have to establish ourselves that we are the who's who. We really are the genuine article. We really are. That when, we, when, when brethren look at us and see what we go through, they're going to say to themselves, there must be something to this Jesus Christ. Who would go through this and not buckle? Unless they're really... That, that's how the gospel spread. That no matter how much they persecuted the believers, they wouldn't buckle. And people, even the Roman soldiers, themselves would convert to Christianity when they saw the example of the believers. We cannot be shaken. We have to establish our faith. We have to give courage to each other. 
Wherefore, we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. This is the same Yahweh that visited ancient Israel. And, and it was a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. So here's the thing. We can face the jihadists or we can face God. So it's up to, it's, it's up to us. Which one do we want to face? The jihadists are terrible. I, I, I don't want to underestimate them at all. They are terrifying. I mean, their whole modus operandi is to create terror. That's why they call them terrorists. That's what their scriptures tell them, to terrorize. So they are terrible. God is more terrible. He's a consuming fire. He gives us chance after chance. He extends love and mercy. But if we despise him, there's nothing more he can do for us. Look at Luke 12. Keep your place in Hebrews 12. Luke 12. And verse 2, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Everything is going to be out in the open. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which you have spoken in the air in closet shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, do not be afraid of them that kill the body, but after that have no more that they can do. That's it. That's the end of the road for them. Don't be afraid of them. That's all they can do. So there has to be something beyond the killing of the body. But I forewarn you, verse 5, whom you should fear. Fear him, which after he is killed, has power to cast into hell or into the lake of fire. Yes, I'm telling you, be afraid of him. Our God is a consuming fire. Don't be afraid of those that all they can do is kill you. And that's the end. Be afraid of the one that after you've been killed can bring you back to life and then throw you in the lake of fire. Be afraid of that one. Hebrews 12. So that is Hebrews 12 concludes with this warning to the covenant community. God is a consuming fire. And we need to take that warning very, very seriously. We can't say, well, yeah, he's a consuming fire, but I'm not worried. No, we need to fear. That's the instruction here. Be afraid of him. Don't go against him. Don't betray him. And so let's build each other up from now so that no matter what happens, we've taken the years to develop this this confidence and this conviction and this, this reality of the joy that's set before us. Now, I just want to finish chapter 13 so we can conclude Hebrews. I won't go through every verse, um, but let's just conclude here. So I think that the letter really ends now at the end of Hebrews 12. And then there's just a few uh, statements here. The first one in chapter, uh, verse 1 of chapter 13, uh, it says, let brotherly love continue. It's actually an imperative. It's a command. Continue in brotherly love would be a better translation. So after all of this warning, what we're going through, the answer is to continue in brotherly love. Really learn to love each other. Because if you love God, you'll love his people. 
If you don't love his people, then you don't really love God. So the way to build ourselves up is to continue in brotherly love. Don't be forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them. So maybe as things heat up, one of our, we hear Bill Watson is in prison. And we don't say, Whew, glad it's not me. We say, he's a part of the family. We've got to encourage him. We've got to let him know that we're praying for him. We're fasting for him. We're, we're, we're with him. Or if it's me, I hope you don't forget me. Remember me, right? So, so we want, we're, we're, we're one body, and things are going to heat up. And here, obviously, some were being imprisoned. And we must be as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being ourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. So don't engage in sexual immorality. God loves sex. God is all for sex in the marriage bed. No other version. Nothing else. So clearly these brethren, some of them were getting into things, some sort of immorality that's going to weaken faith. Uh, God will judge whoremongers and adulterers. Okay, verse 6. So that we may boldly say, so as we engage in this community building, we may boldly say with conviction and courage, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So continue in brotherly love, build each other up, and then we'll be in a position to say, the Lord is my helper. I'm not, I'm not afraid of what man can do to me. That's the state that we need to get each other into. Okay. Verse 7, remember them which have the rule over you. So it's a community, but there's structure. So don't have this view, and we, we don't have it here, thankfully. But it's, it's, you know, in some congregations, there's a despising of the ministry. And God gives us the ministry to bless us. And he's saying, remember those who have the rule over you. There is structure. Who have spoken unto you the word of God. We are giving to you the words of eternal life that are strengthening you to go through anything. But it's, it's, we're all different parts of the body. That's all. We're members of each other. That's it. Whose faith follow, considering the end of their conduct. And then, I'll just read this to you in Acts 20, 20 28. Again, or to do with the divinity of Christ. Take heed, therefore, to yourselves. This is to the ministry. And to all the flock over the which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So the Holy Spirit has made the ministry overseers over the flock to feed the church of God, the word of God. Notice this. Which he has purchased with his own blood. You want to deny the divinity of Christ? Then how does God purchase the church with his own blood? God has blood. And he used the blood to purchase the church. How do you deny the divinity of Christ? He purchased the church with his own blood. Verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, so don't be carried about with the verse, doctrines, Christ is the same. If you understand the old covenant and the new covenant and the storyline, he doesn't change. We can, be, we can have confidence in Christ. Well, brethren, you can read through the rest of this letter. I think you get the tone of, of all of Hebrews. Let me see.
me see if there's anything else that I just want to bring out here. I think that's it. And then verse 17, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that's unprofitable for you. So again, there's a way that God is working to profit us, to strengthen us, and we just have to submit to that process and work, work with that process. And I think we do a great job here. And then verse 24, he says, salute all them that have the rule over you. So again, clearly it's, it's, it's plural. It's not, it's not salute the one man that has the rule over you. Salute all them, plurality of eldership, that have the rule over you and all the saints. They of Italy salute you. Grace be with you all. Amen. So, brethren, this is a very, very powerful book, the book of Hebrews. And uh, God has really shown us some depth here that maybe we took for granted before or weren't aware of before. I personally think this book is going to become more and more relevant as the collision course that we're set on with the jihadists becomes more and more apparent. So I think let's take the time to study this book, to really get into it. And, And I really want to caution us all. Any man can lose his salvation. And the warning is to the whole community to say, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So we have time. Let's use the time. Don't think of ourselves. Think of each other. Let's use the time to build each other up, to strengthen the community, so that no matter what happens, we can go boldly into it and and have the joy that's set before us. Two things have to happen here. One is we need to see very clearly the outcome that we're going to be sitting on thrones with Christ. We're going to be administering justice and joy and love and peace to this whole, whole earth. We need to see that. And the other thing we need to see, our God is a consuming fire. And I think if we see these two things, it doesn't matter what we do. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.